uh, with Google Assistant, you wouldn't even need to provide a payment method uh, because right. you'd actually just be able to bill your account. My doorbell is ringing. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and thank you for joining the IPG Media Lab from each of our respective homes. I am your host, Scott Elcheson, and this episode was recorded on Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. Adam, welcome back. How was Memorial Day? Uh, it was one of the weirdest uh, long weekends <laughs> that, that I've had in a while. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Why? I mean, <laughs> what, what nor- normally I would go out and do something. I would go to a barbecue or host a barbecue or go upstate uh, or something. Uh, I just, uh, I didn't do any of that. So <laughs> yeah, I had, I had a little barbecue for, for myself and my cat on my balcony. Uh, that was about <laughs> the extent of Memorial Day celebrations. Yeah, mine was kind of the same. Uh, I didn't see, like, I didn't really see people. I kind of just stayed by myself. I mean, that was it. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, I guess you're right. It was weird. I'm as used to it now. After 75 days inside, I'm like, I don't need human contact uh, anymore. Well, before we dive into the news, we have a super exciting interview this week. Uh, Adam and I will be talking to Ian Daly, who is the head of strategy over at Live Nation to discuss live events, uh, what they're doing uh, today, how they plan on pivoting the live event, the live event experience uh, for the future, and what this all means for brands. What are those new opportunities that you can kind of be thinking about uh, as we start to see live sports and live events uh, come back uh, in new ways and shapes. So stay tuned for that. But Adam, before that, let's just dive into this week's news. Let's talk about the news. Excellent. Well, first up, uh, Facebook says it will permanently shift tens of thousands of jobs to remote work. Uh, I think this is just a another large tech company that is kind of following the trend here. We've heard from Twitter that they can all their employees will be working home from life. Uh, Amazon and Google don't seem to be sending people back to offices anytime soon. Um, and so I think, you know, more and more this idea of work from home is going to be uh, very much a part of all the company culture that these large tech companies uh, provide to their employees. The one thing that Mark Zuckerberg noted differently than everybody else was that if you are a employee and decide to relocate to a different part of the country, you might see a salary reduction to kind of compensate where you live based off your cost of living. Yeah, I, frankly, uh, that I think was the most surprising part of this announcement. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, he, he, he said 50% of their employees will be working remotely five years from now. Sure, like I think that that tracks. But it, it's super surprising to me to pre-announce that you will be lowering people's salaries <laughs> if they relocate because I think that just creates a crazy umbrella for uh, under Facebook where uh, they're just encouraging a competitor like let's say Google uh, to come out and say, no, we're actually not going to lower your salary if you decide to leave the Bay Area because the work that you do is uh, the same quality and uh, we you know we want to we want to keep you happy and you should be able to live where you want. I, I understand the impulse, and this is something that we had talked about a lot. Uh, we uh, just this past week have been working on a future of work report, uh, and there is a post up on our, our Medium blog uh, about that. So if you want to dive deeper into this, uh, check that out. But one of the things we had been talking about was this idea that, yeah, your salary might might shift downward if you if you move to a uh, a uh, someplace with a lower <laughs> cost of living. But I think that when we were talking about it, and I think most people's assumptions up until this point, that that would be something that would happen 
in the long term, like as you switch jobs, you might be willing to take a job that pays a little less because you uh, have a lower cost of living because you've moved someplace. Not that your current employer would actually lower your <laughs> lower your salary. Uh, I think that that's just really setting a bad precedent for for Facebook employees to stay in the Bay Area rather than relocate. And I. I, again, I just don't understand why you would say that because it's yeah. opening uh, yourself up to competition uh, from somebody yep. else to say we're not going to do that. Uh, who knows? You know, maybe maybe they they will actually walk this back before they actually roll it out. This is was not something that is supposed to happen in 2020. It was a 2021 uh, thing. So, you know, they have plenty of time to reconsider that, especially if uh, competitors for those those same jobs in the market are are behaving differently. Absolutely. Well, speaking of competition. Um, as we take a look over to the streaming wars and the heated competition that has been brewing over the past few months there, HBO Max has debuted uh, without the two most popular streaming platforms, Roku and Amazon. Uh, so HBO Max subscribers won't be able to access that content or subscribe to that content uh, on those two platforms, which notably own 70% of the OTT streaming market. Um, so Adam... What what is going on here? Is it is it money? Does does HBO think that they are uh, like their content is that strong to get people to sign up directly? Like what what are your thoughts here? What's going on? I mean, it's not even about signups, honestly. It's uh, because if it were just about direct signups, that is something that they could work around on those platforms. Uh, this is what we're really seeing is the uh, digital equivalent, the OTT equivalent of carriage fees and those carriage fee disputes uh, that have become ever more popular with uh, cable providers and uh, networks. And, you know, they just couldn't get to a deal with Roku and Amazon uh, in time. And uh, I, I, that's not incredibly surprising. What we've seen with, with what HBO has been doing on other platforms, uh, specifically looking at, at Hulu and looking at Apple TV, they're using this opportunity to move HBO out of the channels ecosystem mm -hmm. um, that gives a bigger cut of the subscription to the platform providers and into just more of a siloed app. You know, if they were ever going to do that, now is the time to do it, of course, with HBO Max. And uh, it looks like, you know, Amazon on a Roku just uh, weren't super happy about that strategy because <laughs> it's you know antithetical to what they want out of the relationship. Right. right. Uh, so they're they're I'm I'm look I'm sure they're going to get there. I'm sure that it will eventually pop up on on Roku and, and Fire TV. Uh, but and then, you know, for them, like from the, from their perspective, right? Just kind of thinking about it, the the lesser of two evils. Like, what costs more money for them? Is they going to be the channels with Roku and Amazon, or is it best to go to the Apple, like the Apple App Store, and take that, you know, thirty seventy split, uh, whatever it might be? So, kind of thinking about those sign up costs on the different parts of the ecosystem. Um, it's quite, oh, it's, quite. It's definitely not a thirty percent no. split for HBO. <laughs> <laughs> um, well. No, no, no. More to more to come on that one as uh, this story continues to develop and, and the content continues to roll out into the summer. Uh, but you know, talking about carriage fees, uh, sports uh, seem to be back. So sports, yeah, woo, go sports. So the NHL will be the first U.S. major sports league to announce its return. They are aiming for a 2014 playoff tournament sometime after July for the Stanley and for the Stanley Cup to presented to the champion in the early fall. Uh, of course, they'll be uh, testing everybody uh, and making sure everybody's approved to play. Um, but again, we saw golf come back last week, uh, and they were playing without any sort of audience. So. Similar to that, the NHL will be doing the same. No, no audience, but it'll be our first major uh, league to return to television, uh, which is pretty exciting. 
Yeah, I'm very curious to see. I think the viewership numbers are going to be off the chart for uh, for the NHL, just with a ton of sports fans who are starved for content. Obviously, we've had some some you know breakouts uh, in esports and especially things like uh, the uh, i racing mm-hmm. uh, that are hue a little a little closer to traditional sports. But uh, I expect that it's going to be a big blowout for the NHL, and you know, good for them. They might pick up uh, a lot uh, a lot of new fans. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, just historically thinking about the playoffs here a lot of the teams come into the playoffs battle battle worn and then of course the actual playoffs themselves are not an easy feat you know it's it's seven games potentially back to back to back uh or maybe like with a day break in it so uh this year we're gonna have 24 teams with individuals that uh haven't played and are well rested you know over the past eight weeks um so this could potentially be one of the most exciting uh, NHL playoffs, and we're super excited with our friends over at the NHL to uh, follow this into the summer. And so we'll uh, bring you more updates when we can. And then another interesting thing that uh, popped up this week is that Google is starting to test voice based authentication uh, for payments made via Google Assistant. Um, so this is a little surprising because we haven't seen voice been being used for authentication in that way before. Uh, but I think if you think about features of Google Assistant or Alexa or Siri, basically any of the, the smart assistants, uh, by now they can all recognize specific individual voices. So uh, for example, your, your phone will, not everybody's phone will light up if I say, hey, dingus, uh, to my <laughs> phone, uh, because because she's listening for my voice specifically. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I won't. I won't push my luck by by saying the actual phrase. Um, but uh, and and uh, Google and uh, Amazon rolled out last year, at least over a year ago. Google and Amazon rolled out the ability for their devices in the home to be able to identify different individuals, so that you could use it to call up, for example, your specific calendar information, or to send a text mm-hmm. message from your account, um, and know that it was not, you know, coming from a different family member or a different roommate. So the, the, all of the the groundwork for this has been laid uh, for a while now, and really all that's happening here is Google is saying uh, we're so confident that this is so good that we can actually use it as a biometric authentication for payments. Uh, which is is pretty cool. So listeners, if if you're looking for this, it'll be in your settings on your uh, you know Google device. It's under uh, something called Confirm with Voice Match, which is pretty exciting. And Adam, you know, as you mentioned, um, I don't think a lot of people really understand how unique uh, a person's voice is. You know, we are able to train our different devices to recognize those voices. We actually have on the like the Alexa side some companies that are developing. Um, you know, personalized health diagnostic tools based off tonality uh, in your voice. Uh, so what Beyond Verbal is kind of working on. Um, so it's pretty impressive to kind of just think about this as like, like, like I said, like a new way to authenticate phone payments. Um, but at, at a time when we're all wearing masks, this is something that could be really useful, uh, like I said, for payments, for unlocking your device as pretty much as a new way to interact with um, our devices around us and kind of thinking about how Google is uh, preparing their devices for this kind of future where we are interacting with everything around us. Uh, yeah, this voice authentication, I think, could be uh, super useful in the future uh, in public places. You can imagine doing something like walking up to the vending machine and buying a Metro card using your voice. Uh, and if that's integrated with, with Google Assistant, it can actually authenticate you. It knows, has your credit card on file. It already knows where to bill you. Um, and you can do that entire interaction without actually even touching the screen or providing any you know sort of direct form of payment uh, to the machine itself. 
So it, mm-hmm. that's just one example, but I think you know we'll see lots of other ways to use your voice to quote unquote log you in uh, to mm. places in in out in public space. I think it, it's uh, an interesting development. Yeah, and again, something something to watch as we uh, think about the, a a social distancing future. And with that, that wraps up this week's news. Um, and we're going to go straight into our conversation with Live Nation all about live events and how we see uh, these developing over the next six weeks, months, and uh, years. Well, today we are talking to Ian Daly, the head of strategy for Live Nation Entertainment, where he's been responsible for shaping the company's core proposition and delivering breakthrough strategic solutions for partners and brands. So, Ian, welcome to Floor 9. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're super excited to have you here uh, on Floor 9 this week, you know, virtually, of course, from uh, all over New York this week, actually, right? You're uh, a fellow New Yorker right now? I am a fellow New Yorker. I am uh, coming to you from my weekend place in Pennsylvania, so I've uh, escaped the city for a bit. <laughs> That's like nice. an extension of Brooklyn, right? It is, actually. Well, it is now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the token Brooklynite, Yeah. <laughs> Well, great. And well, so uh, we're super excited to have you on the show today to really be talking about live entertainment. Just to kick things off, I mean, I'm curious to hear from your perspective, just like um, from the live entertainment side of things, like how has how have you pivoted or transitioned to what has been happening over the past eight, eight weeks? Well, things have been changing by the day, as you know, and they change by from market to market. We're in over 40 countries in all 50 states. So that question the answer to that question really depends on where and when, and tomorrow it'll be different. But uh, we we essentially see 2021 as as becoming another banner year. We're looking at some things we can do in the meantime as we transition back to something closer to what we remember as normal. And you know, they say that they say necessity is the mother of all invention, and I and I think that's true. Uh, a lot of what we're doing comes out of uh, the, the unrelenting desire for fans to come back. And we know we just did a study with about 10,000 of our fans across eight key markets globally. And overwhelmingly, about 91% of them are just saying they want to come back. Uh, 91% are, are holding on to their tickets, too. Although we're offering refunds, they're, 91% of them are choosing to keep their tickets shows us that they really just want to come back to shows and that's the most important thing. But in the meantime, we're looking at all sorts of different transitional things we can do to reach them and bring artists and fans back together again. And that's everything from doing a drive-in experience that we did out in Denmark, which is not a one-off. It's going to be part of a series of 40 to 60 of these. And that saw tremendous success where fans can stay safely social distance in their cars and watch a show. We're going to do a lot more of those, and that's coming to the states mm-hmm. now. So that's a big part. Yeah. Of it. And so I guess I'm curious to know, like, how, like, how did that work? Like, the, did users like tune into like a certain radio station, like an actual drive-in, where like the music came through their car, or was it just literally like windows down, you know, music blasting when you drove into the like the venue for the concert? So yeah, they uh, fans all pulled up. I believe there were about 600 cars or so for the first round of wow. it. And they, they all tuned in wow. via radio to listen to the artists perform. So everybody had kind of the same front row seat, if you will, to the sound experience. I love that. It's a, a very uh, innovative use of radio technology here in 2020. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. One of the trends we're seeing now during during this the COVID crisis is a lot of people are becoming a bit more creative where they're awakening a, 
uh, an inner creative side that now they have absolutely they have time yeah. to explore. I don't know. Have you, have you started any interesting side projects? Have you started wood carving well, or anything? <laughs> <laughs> if, I mean, not to toot my horn over here, but I've uh, started a sleep podcast. <laughs> oh, nice. So there you go. Yeah. So you put uh, people so, to sleep on your other podcast or? That's, that I, hopefully. <laughs> okay. But look, I, I think that the, the important takeaway from that is whether it's live and in person or it's through digital or virtual experiences, fans are really just craving this real-time connection and this togetherness. And that's even while live streaming, that's possible. And um, and also we're seeing that they, they, they crave more interactivity from these experiences too. So to that end, we, we've turned one of our partners with our partnerships with Adobe where we we have we reach out to fans and and we have creative challenges and we have them make flyers and and uh, videos and 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 photos and we we open up the artists who are on tour uh, all their assets to these fans so they can do do things with them and play with them and and have a conversation with the artists and create and I think that's been a tremendous partnership for us over the last year and and this year I think during this transition we've been able to explore that even deeper and. Oh, totally. And I mean, Adam, I mean, I feel like that plays right into the theme of digital creativity right there. Yeah, yeah. We've been talking about, uh, even before the pandemic, just how uh, creative tools were becoming more accessible to uh, to everyone. And that was spurring a, a rise in, in output of creative output. And I think that, uh, as you said, just the, the, uh, the ev- forcing everyone to be at home and giving uh, some people a lot more time, I think, has really just created this explosion of, uh, of content. I, I've seen several articles suggesting that we might come out of this uh, pandemic into a kind of cultural renaissance uh, that we haven't seen uh, in a long time. I hope you're right. <laughs> that would just be beneficial for everybody, you know, kind of a, 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 a positive uh, as we start to see and empower more people to be creative um, out there, whether across any medium, right? Whether that's concerts or podcasting or digital art, playwriting, um, gardening. I mean, wood, woodworking. I can watch woodworking videos on Instagram, YouTube all day long. It's like the most satisfying thing uh, in the world. So like we need more woodworkers that are uh, going live and on Instagram. But I'm curious, knowing that, you know, music has always been this live experience. Like how has the receptivity been to uh, like live streaming of concerts and musicians and artists? Because I think at the, you know, the start of all this, like that was the big thing. Everybody was kind of pivoting towards that. You know, we've seen everybody from, you know, like smaller groups, like So Far Sounds offering live experiences to just, you know, indie artists to do it on Instagram live. Like, um, you know, do you have any insights into in kind of like to that consumer sentiment of what it's been like, you know, and how it's kind of changed or shifting? Like, are people still interested in those types of kind of live from your living room events? Yeah, one thing we saw from our fans when we surveyed them was that what they want now is a more interactive experience. I think in the beginning of the pandemic, we were seeing people were taking anything. There were a lot of live streams. There there was a lot of uh, artists broadcasting from their phone. And now what artists are doing and I, and I think what fans want more of is a little bit more interactivity, question and answer sessions, uh, and, then, and then also higher quality production too. A big thing we're working right now on is turning our venues into big stages for our artists. You know, our artists are at their best when they're on a big stage and and performing in front of big audiences. If they can't have those big audiences yet, we can at least offer them their big stages because we have uh, over 200 venues around the world. We're now opening up and we have great production crews that are socially distanced and doing it safely and smaller teams. But now those artists can go with very high production value, 
on the stages that they're used to performing on and bring a, a bigger, better experience to fans. So that's evolving mm. by the day as well. How do you see that long-term fitting into the overall value proposition for fans? Uh, are, are live streams going to be sort of headline features just like in-person concerts, or is it maybe more of a, a, a marketing for those in-person concerts, even if they you know, are monetized at the end of the day? It's a great question. Everything's kind of on the table right now, and we're going to be looking yeah. at how fans' appetite changes as things go back to normal, but certainly the potential's there. I think what you're seeing happening is we're picking up as fans ourselves a lot of new habits that maybe before the pandemic we wouldn't have had, you know, I never would have mm -hmm. gone on house party. Uh, there's a, <laughs> uh, there, there's a cool app called jukebox where you can get together with your friends and listen to music. So uh, I've been watching a lot more live streams than I ever had, but not by choice, but just, and I've learned that there's actually a lot of great stuff out there. And I I'm seeing artists that I would not have normally seen perform live just because they're more accessible to me. And I, I'm more open to that idea. So I think you're going to see those habits stay with fans. And what you're going to see happen is the live experience is going to be augmented by all these other bits. It's not going to replace live, but we have what we call the fan journey. Essentially, it's the consumer journey. But you think about it when a fan goes to see a show or a festival or a big concert, a lot of them wait all year for this. So you've got their attention for months and months at a time before, during and after it's a great chance for brands to build anticipation, to tell a story, to connect with them, not just at the event, but all around it. And we have a lot of ways to help fans and brands do that. But what you're seeing now is a lot of fans are picking up these new habits. So they're going to engage deeper with all the stuff around the live experiences. And that's going to lead to a lot of great new opportunities for brands to connect with fans and artists in the future. And we're exploring those too. Yeah. So, so I, I'd be interested to kind of just kind of dive right into that. So this is your, your core competency right here at live nation. So how are you, like, how are you thinking about this? Because obviously live events have been, you know, like marquee events for brands, whether that's, you know, live concerts or like sporting events. Uh, it's something that has been really, really core to a lot of, you know, big brand marketers. And so I'm curious this from your perspective, like how are you thinking about these new experiences at, you know, live nation? Well, first of all, I, I think the transition we're going through now is, is not going to last forever. We're going to see a, a giant return to live events as we knew them in droves. And, and I think we're all expecting that. And all the data that we've gotten back from fans and all the conversations that we're having and artists is showing the same thing. We're just appetite to come back is, is huge. And in the meantime, we're, we're being super safe. We're not rushing anything. Uh, we're exploring all the options that we can do as regulations slowly lift state by state, country by country to see what's possible there. So in addition to the drive-ins, we're exploring looking at our bigger amphitheater venues. And even though we close off the seating areas, having the lawn sections open, elevating the stage, having people sit at safe, comfortable distances from one another to watch a show in real life. Uh, we're looking at smaller, more intimate experiences, more like a dinner theater where fans can come to a venue, sit at a table, eat some food, be distanced from each other, but still enjoy the show in a, in a safe way. So there's all sorts of models that we're exploring. And I think the neat thing is there's going to be a lot of opportunity for brands to come along with us and innovate what those experiences can be and what they can look like. You know, we, we talk a lot about uh, in marketing coming up with first and a lot of brands will, will, will come to us with briefs saying, we want to do something that's never been done before. We want a true first. And it's, it's hard to do it. Easy to say, like going viral is very easy to say, but it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. 
But now it's very, very hard. Very I've been hard. trying to get floor nine to go viral for two and a half years. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's but, a work in progress. <laughs> well, what's neat again, just going back to necessity being the mother of all invention, we got to get crafty in these times to come up with interesting solutions. We're, we're listening to our fans. We're listening to our artists and what they want, doing it safely. We're coming up with new interesting solutions like that. And we will continue to. And the things I'm talking about on the show right now, I think in, in, a, in a couple weeks even, will, will be implemented or, or advanced. And there'll be new ideas that come to the table. So everything's on the table right now. We're just we're playing it safe and we're being careful. But we're listening to our fans and our artists and and giving them as much as we can. So you, you, you brought up artists. And so obviously we, we kind of talked about like, like the brand and the consumer journey, but if we think about the artists, how are they um, thinking about like live events going forward? Just from our, our general knowledge, again, like the live events have been pretty key to, you know, how an artist gets discovered, how they meet people, how they build fans and a community and all that. And so, um, you know, what have you just kind of been seeing from your, your interactions with um, artists about the lack of live events and kind of how it's changing? It's a great question. I think we talk a lot about, and it's pretty common knowledge that touring is, is the main engine of, of revenue for artists. It's the way they make their living. If they're not out on the road, uh, they're not making money. But that's the business side of it. What we don't talk a lot about, and I, I don't think enough about, is the emotional side of it. And our artists, they really crave that connection with their audiences, they feed off of that. And, you know, at least the, the conversations I've had and the things I've read, it, there's a great article in the Atlantic that came out on May 11th with Dave Grohl talking about that. And it was a, a really beautiful, inspirational article. But um, for him, he really digs into what he gets as, as fulfillment, as, as emotional fulfillment from being up there on that stage and connecting in person with those audiences. There's no substitute for that. I think Keith Urban said something interesting too about, look, I love live streams, but it's really just like without the audience, just a long sound check. So, <laughs> and it's so true. So we're, we're all getting by and live streams are going to continue to augment these experiences, but they're never going to replace them. And when you look at it from the perspective of the artist, the important thing is to remember that we're not just giving energy and life to fans these artists really need that too, not just for money, but that's their, that's their lifeblood. And that's, that's their way where they get their fulfillment as well. As a podcaster, I get my fulfillment not on a stage, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I can totally, I can totally like, uh, understand and see where they're coming from. Cause you know, to your point, it, like the, being a part of that live experience and event is a very emotional and very fun. Um, and that is what, uh, they do, right. They, they perform. So that does make, um, a lot of sense. And how are you thinking about like the future of venue-based entertainment? Um, as we go into, you know, the second half of 2020, as, as we look to 2021, um, how, how is the team over at Live Nation uh, and yourself, Ian, thinking about uh, like the future of venue-based entertainment? Because obviously it's, it's here to stay, but it might just change a little bit in how we actually uh, interact. I think our fans are telling us that the future of live entertainment is, is what they've known all along, which is a lot of us all coming together under the same shared love for our artists and being in the same place at the same time uh, to enjoy that. Obviously, it's going to start with smaller numbers and we're going to slowly and, and safely get back to capacity. But the future of live is, I think, going to look a lot like what we're familiar with, which is um, big groups of people uh, enjoying their favorite artists and enjoying each other's company, enjoying just the, the full immersive 
experience of that. You know, live is is such an irreplaceable emotional thing. The intensity around live music is is like nothing else. And we've we've done surveys that have uh, shown that as well. But also, it's about the shared experience and. Fans again and again are telling us when it's safe, and 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 we agree slowly and carefully working toward those numbers again. Uh, we'll get there, but that that shared experience is part of what makes it such an emotional and, and fantastic and irreplaceable thing. So I, I think when we talk about the future of live, at its core, it's going to look a lot like what we're familiar with. But I think we're going to pick up some new habits across different media that help fans engage in, in deeper and broader ways around those big events too. So before, during, and after, we've all picked up new habits with streaming and interactivity and apps that are just going to feed into that excitement and feed into the building of anticipation and fuel that long tail after the experience to share and to relive. I think we're just going to see more and more of that, and we're going to see more opportunities around the fan journey, which is Great, great news, I think, for the brands that we work with, because that's even more of a chance to talk to these fans for longer periods of time and engage with them on a deeper level um, without having to force them or push stuff on them. They're, all, they're already going to have some of these new habits. Absolutely. Well, I am super excited uh, about that future. And from that fan insight page, you talked about how like there's a want from the consumers to come back. But uh, were there any other highlights from that report that would just be interesting tidbits for, for people to know about or hear about? I think there is one other interesting stat that we uncovered when we talked to these fans in our survey. 79% of live music goers say that live music gives society hope. And I think that's a uh, wow. I think that's a, just such wow. a, a powerful statement. And I think it just speaks to that not just the business of live, but the meaning of live and the meaning of music and all of our lives. And even as we're getting through challenging times, I think it's just underscored the importance of music in all of our lives and its ability to get us through hard times and great times and to connect us all together. And it just underscores the idea that there's really no substitute for that and that there's so much meaning behind music and and so much for brands to tap into and become a part of that experience for fans. Absolutely. And I'm not even going to ask a question because that was perfect. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. Uh, A way to end, yeah, to to end the the episode here. So uh, Ian, thank you so much for joining myself and Adam here on Floor 9. Uh, It was an absolute pleasure talking to you uh, and learning more about the live experience uh, and what we can expect going forward. Uh, So thank you. Likewise. Thanks for having me, guys. Hope to see you at a show soon. Yeah. (laughs) Six feet away. uh, We can text about it. It'll be great. Exactly. Take care, gentlemen. Right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye. Well, listeners, that about wraps up this week's episode of Floor 9. So remember, this Friday on Twitch from 2 to 3 p. Eastern Standard Time, we'll be talking to Michael from Dovetail, the influencer agency. Join us live at twitch.tv forward slash IPG underscore lab uh, or watch afterwards, whatever works best for your schedule. Looking forward to seeing you on our stream, and that's our show this week. So stay safe, stay healthy, and remember to wash your hands. Bye.